You're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL Supercoach All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back again for the preseason podcasts. And this one is going to be an absolute cracker of a podcast for the uh, Supercoach All-Stars Podcast preseason. We've got Luke Garrity on. Luke was a constant on the podcast last year. Fantastic footy chat. All the fans love him. He's also one of the... uh, Two guys that run the Rugby League Cemetery podcast, which is a great one that looks at old games and uh, does some commentary around, uh, you know, what happened 20 years ago in a random game. And you get to hear about all the old players and everything. I love I love the Cemetery podcast, Luke. And I'm assuming that you're starting to ramp up for the Supercoach season as well. Thanks, mate. Good to be back. Uh, really keen to be here. Yeah, I am just starting to, to ramp up. I've um, been having a, a good off-season, training the house down, ready to rock for 2022. Oh, sounds good. Look, it's a, it's a great preseason for all the All-Stars guests that are popping on the preseason. Billy said he, he hit the beat test as number one and everything. And, you know, it's, <laughs> I think we're all primed. Yeah, always looking good till we actually, um, till we get to that round one. And after the first Friday, it's usually in a bit of strife. But until then, we're all equal. We're all equal first. It's going to be a big one because we've got your Newcastle Knights that we're going to talk about in the first part of the podcast. The second part is going to be a, a mm. Roosters podcast. And that one is going to be an absolute cracker too, because there's a lot of players in the Roosters to talk about. But on the Knights side of things, let's start off with them. The Newcastle Knights... Last year, um, I would say almost overachieved for me. They ended up going okay, but really their football didn't really look as good as what their position on the table looked to me. And for next season, I'm going to say outright when we're talking about the Supercoach players, you will notice a trend. And that is that I'm very, very down on the Newcastle Knights for next year. So I know that, Luke, you're you're a very pessimistic Newcastle Knights fan, so I don't think I'm going to offend you too much when I say that. <laughs> Press me, not offend me. <laughs> well, look, it's when we're looking at the player movements, Adam Clune is the first guy that's mentioned as a gain, and that probably says a lot because it's, it's not a huge gain. Dane Gagai is the other one. Those were the two biggest signings for the Newcastle Knights. So it's, yeah. it's nothing huge with the losses, Look, I think Mitchell Pearce didn't play, you know, that well in some of the games and he certainly missed games, but I think that he's going to be sorely missed. Uh, Connor Watson did some good things, added some spark. Uh, I think both of those guys being out and adding a, a Clune and Gagai, total sum means that they're going to be worse off personnel-wise for me. Um, but there isn't a huge amount of of other changes aside from some of the backs like Shibasaki, who only played sparringly and... And Stafford Toa was released to the Tigers too, which I kind of found interesting because I thought that they were they rated Toa uh, pretty highly. So I, I thought that was interesting that they let him go so quickly and so easily. But other big news for the Newcastle Knights is it's not on the losses, but it should be because even though young Braley is signed for the Knights for next year, he's now injured and out. Possibly for the year, although NRL physio said that maybe he'll be able to come back at the back end, um, possibly, but... It seems like it's going to be a long layoff. So, I mean, look, looking at the personnel, looking at how they looked last year, obviously a lot's going to rest on Kalen Ponga. As far as where I think they're going to finish, like oh, I honestly think their range is 10 to 16. You know, I, I cannot see any way the Newcastle Knights are making the top eight this season. 
and I would be so incredibly surprised if they do. Are you a little bit more positive about your Knights than what I am? Um, oh, look, I wouldn't say I'm more positive. I, I'm, I'm more open to seeing what happens. I think if I had to, uh, I would put their range at, at 5 to 14. And I know that sounds really silly and I'm just hedging my bets, but I don't think we've got, I think it's very hard to get a read on Newcastle because basically last year, there's this weird duality to Mitchell Pearce in that team in that every time he played, they were better than they were without him by quite a distance. And it showed in the results. He missed about half a year and the back half, they were awful, but they won games with him in them and they weren't winning them when he wasn't there. But he also was a ceiling on that team. There's absolutely no doubt he was a ceiling because he, he, he was cooked as a footballer in terms of his own ability was so far down and what he'd shown early in the nights and what he did at the roosters. And they just, the best football they could play with the whole game plan structured around Mitchell Pearce and playing around Mitchell Pearce's ability was never good enough to beat any good team. They never got within Kui of beating a good side that year. They were, they were, they were beaten comprehensively every time they played anyone ahead of them and they battled home against lower sides. He was able to do that. And with, with him gone, um, they've brought Andrew Johns in or Andrew Johns basically demanded to come back to fix the team's attack. He thought it was appalling and he's, he's come home with basically a sole mantra that he's going to fix how they play and that the, the attack's going to come off Kalen Ponga and get the ball the best and do all the things that pretty much you don't need to be Andrew Johns to, to notice they should be doing. <laughs> um, anyone could have probably picked up that that would be the idea. So they go into this year where all of a sudden the ceiling of Mitchell Pierce is gone but Mitchell Pierce was the thing that was lifting them to where they were as well. So you've got this, we're now in this spot where they're just, we don't know how they're going to play. They're going to come in and Caelan Ponga is more than capable of being your best playmaker. And if they run all of the football off Ponga, like they're talking about, they use him in the playmaking role and they've got a very good set of forwards. I can envisage that they can do as well as they did last year. But if they play like they did last year without Mitchell Pierce and they'll finish 14th, if they just come in and play like they did last year, in that style um, and don't make those changes, then they're going to finish pretty poorly. They need to radically overhaul what they're doing. The talk was that they've spent the off season doing that. Braley out doesn't help at all because Andrew Johns is very big on playing off the hooker. If I had to bet, I would tip on them missing the eight, but I, I, the only thing I would go against you on is just to say there's, it's just very open because they have to totally reroute what they're doing. All the talk is that's what they have been doing and it's either going to work or it's not. Um, and we don't really know what that's going to look like. We don't know how they're going to get Ponga into the game and what they're going to do, but it's it's crunch time for them and it's crunch time for O'Brien. If they fall over this year after the way they played last year, which was just absolutely disgusting, then then I think that project's pretty much over. Yeah, and I said to you, this is a this mm. is an absolute make or break year for them in what they're going yep. to do. And I, and I really, really believe that. Like, it's going it's basically going to have to be a scorched earth strategy if this doesn't work. They have to just get rid of everything that's there, just annihilate the whole setup, all the coaching staff, all the players start over again because it's just not going to work. And I think O'Brien is definitely in the hot seat to do that and make it work. Certainly Joey Johns coming in is going to help. But, I mean, even if you look at what they did last year, the way they finished being, you know, they were seventh on the ladder, sounds a lot better than what they actually looked, you know, and they were 12 and 12. So, you know, 50% win percentage. They were minus 143 points differential. Like that says something about the top eight and a lot of astute judges and also even just casual fans will say that uh, the teams that are out of the six 
the top six last year were, were just has been. They, they may as well not been there. You know, whether you were seventh or tenth, it didn't really matter because those sides weren't going to go anywhere. And, you know, certainly that was Newcastle. Oh, they were awful. Yeah, they, they were awful. They, they, it's, a, it's a really silly metric making the top eight sometimes. Everyone puts a really big emphasis on it. I oh, coached them to the eight, he coached them to the eight. But, but the idea of the competition is to win the comp. And Newcastle didn't get closer last year than the year before. They finished, yes, they made the eighth, but they were, if they had have lost one more game and missed the eight, um, the season would have been the same. They were an also-ran side that was getting absolutely toasted by 30 points against every contender, and the goal is to win the comp. They, they, did, they did terrible against yeah. the top teams. Yeah, That's the other thing that you mentioned, yeah. and it's so true. They did terrible no, against They the were shocking. Teams. The goal is to win the competition, and they didn't get any closer to it last year, and they were absolute miles away. And, you know, as a fan, I, I'm glad they made the eight. It was good to see them in a semi, and you cheer them on, and you hope they win it. But... I didn't want Mitchell Pierce to play for the club this year, and a lot of people didn't. We wanted him out, but we did want him out and for them to sign a halfback, not to play Adam Clifton. <laughs> so um, we, we wanted them to get someone else that was like, you know, sort of 500000 to $700,000 halfback. But, um, well, it's just going to be open. I, I think the odds are they'll miss the eight and do poorly, but, I, you know, uh, we're there. It's not so much even what Andrew Johns is going to bring in technical knowledge. It's just that he's a circuit breaker. He's come in and been brought in to just gut the attack and say this was crap and start again. And all he wants is for it to focus on Ponga and to be built around getting Ponga in the right parts of the field. So they have a really good forward pack. And if they were to design an attack that way, he is one of the most dangerous players in the competition in certain parts of the field and in certain positions. So if they were to work that all out, I could see them getting into the bottom half of the eight again but I'm not putting money on that. Yeah, and they do have to completely, mm. completely turn that attack yeah. into something different and and turn it on its head and do everything different than they did before. You know, th- there was only one team in the league last year that scored less points than them, and that was the Canary Bankstown Bulldogs. Mm. The the Knights were fifteenth in points last year. Yeah, and and Canterbury don't have Caelan Ponga. There's one <laughs> yeah. thing for Canterbury there, but but Caelan Ponga is in the top handful of attacking players if you look purely at guys that you want to get the ball and for something to happen um he'd be on the first hand of players you count off that you would like to have it and you can't Mm. be finishing there with him in it and you look the team is built around Caelan Ponga taking them places and he needs to step up a bit and they certainly need to step up in how they use him because it's not all on him they the the way they structure everything's been abysmal but but the the benefit's going to be that forward pack if you look through that pack that's a that's a pack that can compete with the top four, it went very hard with Parramatta in the first week. They weren't losing any games because of that. And it's that pack is the reason they beat all those teams below them in those awful games. We couldn't score to save ourselves, but they were just able to make metres and keep the other team out away from the try line and all those things because the forward pack was there. So there is a base element to work there if the attack was to catch fire, but I'm, I'm just not holding my breath on it. That's all. No, like the top four teams basically scored double the points that the Newcastle Knights did last season. And it's a really interesting take when you mention about how, you know, using the metric of making the aid is just so silly sometimes. And I 100% agree. And I've had this argument with so many people, you know, it's not always, you know, certainly, you know, if you bring it side from 16th to six, you know, that's really good. But there's a lot of times like this season with Newcastle where they were minus 143 points at seven. The side that was 11th was the Dragons and they were minus 142. And the difference was 26 points and, and 18 points. So, 
you know, it's it's four wins basically between the seventh and eleventh spot, and well, really the seventh and thirteenth spot were were four wins, and if they cop those, you know, they they could have easily finished eleven, twelve, or thirteen, and we'd be talking about them very differently just because they got those few extra wins. You know, their their points differential was no better, and really their style of football wasn't much better than some of those other sides behind them. So if they were to finish eight this year, you know, it's a drop back. But if they looked good doing it, I think that you'd have a little bit of hope for the future because you really need to build on it and, and actually have something in place mm. that you know can at least be successful. You know, you, you could play yeah. last year's season over and over again and the majority of the time you're not going to finish in the eight, even though it happened last year. No, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And they, they've got $600,000 sitting there to get a halfback. Um, if that was to happen early in the year, that might might change things. And if it doesn't, if they can get a reasonable result and finish around 6 to 10 and, and look pretty good, then that would be the plan going into the next year as you start to get Braley back, you get a halfback in and you might improve. But, yeah, look, I, I don't think it's it's not one I'm going in really excited about this year. Well, you mentioned that there's a lot of pressure on Kalen Ponger, and there certainly is. He's really going to have to step up this season. And a lot of it's going to be on him. So he's the first player we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the guns for Newcastle, of which there isn't a huge amount. But obviously, Kalen is the biggest gun that they have by a long way. Now, Kalen Ponga had a very much a down season. He scored 68 points a game last year. That was down from 80 points in 2020. And I was saying with Billy on the first podcast of this preseason that, you know, it's not just the points that they're down. It's the fact that last year was the highest scoring season on record. So whether you want to add, you know, 20%, 25% to what fullbacks really should have scored, you know, or 20%, whatever, it, there's a percentage on there that you've got to put on top. So he probably, you know, if he kept steady with 2020, should have averaged 90 plus at a minimum. And he's down at 68 points a game. So that was obviously an issue. Um, there was... Definitely a few key things with that, you know, that's, that really stood out for me. I was big on Ponga last year. I actually brought him in for the run home because they had a really good run of games. You know, they hit Canberra, Broncos, Sharks, Dogs, Titans and Broncos to finish. And he really did nothing there. He's, he scored a 98 and an 80 in that run, but he also scored a 36, 43 and a 41. You know, 43 against the Dogs and, and 41 against the Broncos to finish off the year when you thought that he'd maybe at least put in for the last one. So it was... Pretty much a down year for him is an understatement. Uh, when you have a look at it too, yeah, obviously he wasn't kicking as well. That looks like that's not going to be the case now. His base was actually down from 25 to 19, and he was down some tackle breaks as well. So that was that was a real key for me that you know his base was already down. In 2020, he had three games that he went 150 plus, and that was that excitement machine. Kalen Pong, a big scorer that we knew and loved. In 2021, he had one monster score of 163, and that was it. Uh, he did have two injury-affected games, but even excluding them, five out of his 12 games were actually sub-60. And three out of those 12, so 25% of his games that he played, were actually sub-50, which for a fullback in the type of point-scoring year we had last year, yeah, there's no there's no way of saying it. He, it was just a t- it was not a good season for him super coach-wise either. And certainly I know that we even had some disagreements because I was probably overly harsh on him. But at times during the year, you know, I was screaming, especially when I owned him for that run home, Luke, because I wanted him to get his hands on the ball. And even though their structure, even though the players around him were playing badly, I just, I didn't care if he made mistakes. I just wanted him in there doing it and trying. And like, I was watching Tedesco with obviously my Roosters side 
And he was making some mistakes that he doesn't normally make, but it was because he was taking, you know, 25 runs and trying to throw all these cutout balls to make something happen and things. It's like, I don't care that they're mistakes. I want you to be trying. Whereas Ponga just seemed to drift out of games at times. And, you know, it it, it seemed to me that you think that he's trending down, uh, but obviously the counter argument to that for Supercoach is, maybe he's 12 to 20 points undervalued and he's actually going to, you know, he had a bad year and this is a make or break year for him and he's going to trend up. You know, what do you make of the numbers in last season and where you see him for 2022? Yeah, it's a tough call. I think uh, I agree with what, what a lot of you had to say. If I was going to counter argue with, if you look at Kalen, if you wanted a reason to buy him this year, obviously if you look at his numbers, they're down, which is a super coach reason to think they might, um, pike up if you needed another reason for that he he didn't have any preseason last year he went for shoulder surgery at the end of the season at the end of the long season um that we didn't finish till november and he missed the first sort of five games of the year came back for about a month and a half and then did his groin and and i, I don't think he was ever 100 percent confident on that shoulder throughout the year he, he, he didn't really look like he wanted to tackle anyone and and that's not really something you say about Ponga, he he always threw his body around a lot when he came into Grady Mills. He got done for shoulder charging a couple of times because he kept trying to murder the wingers into touch and stuff when they were trying to score. He really did throw himself around and he didn't do it a lot last year. And I wonder whether he didn't quite get his confidence in his shoulder. He didn't get a preseason and all of those sorts of things. So he come into this year, he's perfectly fit. He's been training and ready to go. You'd think that he can come out and, and play better football. I, I think for me, when, when I look through there, what, what puts me off, because you've only got two fullback slots and, and I don't need to run through the, your other options. We all know that they're all, there's some pretty good ones. It, it's just the base issue is is oh, he's not running the football a lot. I, I don't see a huge reason for that to change this year. I talk about designing the attack around Kalen Ponga, but in that Newcastle team, he's probably going to be doing a lot of the ball playing. And when you look at those fullbacks, they, they need to, to really get those giant averages and, to, and the big, big daddy scores. They've got to also be the guys that are backing up the line breaks and backing up running inside the half to take a ball on the inside and and and, and score that way and everything. And if you look in that night side, if he's going to be playing with Clune, Randall coming in for Braley and, and Clifford and these guys, I think Kalen's going to have to do a lot of the passing and I think they're going to have to design the game for him to do a lot of the passing. And I don't know that that will lend itself to quite enough points. It's not going to lead itself to 25 points in runs and 15 in tackle breaks, it might be, you know, only that 10 and 15 and runs a few tackle breaks and then try assist that boosts him up to the 70 or 80. But when you don't get that, the base isn't quite there. Uh, that's my concern with him is I just don't see who's putting him over for break after break in that night side. He's, I think he's going to have to be the guy passing the ball all the time, uh, which will suit him, by the way. I, I could see that going really well for Newcastle. I think he's... He reminds me a lot more of, of Benji Marshall or Sean Johnson or that sort of player than he does, you know, any of the great fullbacks that I've seen. I've always thought that that more suits mm. his game, but it doesn't necessarily work that well for super coach in the fullback position. Well, out of the big fullbacks, he's he's by far the cheapest. Mm. He's 599,000. Yeah. So that's I'm, the kicker, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, and that, that's yeah. his big positive. You know, like if you mm. think that he's going to have a bounce back season, and you think he's, even if you just think that he's an 80 plus, you know, if you think that, mm. you know, he's going to go back to what he did two years ago, that's still 12 points undervalued. And that's pretty valuable. The thing that kills his his price tag, though, is one thing I didn't mention at the front of the Newcastle Night Chat mm. is that their draw is not particularly friendly. So, no, it, yeah. it, it's, and it's to start with, you know, I, I said in the first preseason podcast, I reiterated again. 
I'm looking at the first two months really heavily on my round one selections if I'm going to look at the draw at all, you know, because it doesn't matter what happens in the back third of the season if you're picking guys from round one. So they start off with the Roosters, obviously a tough game. Good game against the Tigers. Then they're away against Penrith. Then they're away against the Sharks, which is a bit easier. Then they're at home versus the Seagulls. Tough game. Uh, Dragons away, a bit easier. Then Eels at home, followed by Storm. You know, they've... They're playing the top four sides in that first eight weeks. And really, you know, the Dragons and the Tigers are two easier ones. None of the rest are really. So you'd probably say two out of the eight games are decent. And that's just not enough to, to make it very enticing Ooh. unless you're very, very certain that one of the Newcastle Knights that you're picking is going to go great. And off the back of what we saw from Palin last year and the fact that you mentioned there's only two fullback spots, you know, I, I do generally have Kalen Ponga as a top four type of fullback uh, and he is cheap. The draw just cancels him out for me as an option. I'm, I wouldn't say to, you know, and I say this often on the podcast for any new listeners, I very rarely just put a line through someone because super coach isn't black and white, you know, there's, and there's always an option for a great player like Kalen Ponga to work out because he is that good. But, I'm very close to just saying there's a line through him. Don't do it because there's too many other big options. There's no draw there. His form last year was bad. And even if I think that that Joey's going to work with them, you know, that spine is just awful. And without Braley again, it's even worse. So I'm very much off Ponga for this season, but I do think that he's going to bounce back a little bit at least. Yeah, I could see him have a good season personally, but the way they're going to have to play and what he'll probably need to do, I'm not on him for round one. And I like to be on him when I can because I go for the Knights and, you know, it's fun to go watch him tear teams up and have him in his super coach team. And and I'm not really thinking of it. One of the other guns for last year, which was sort of surprising for some people, but one of my favourite sleepers for the preseason and a big balls pod that I definitely started with was Barnett. And Barnett had a sensational year. He ended up having a career year, obviously, uh, and he started off goal kicking too, which really helped. And obviously that dropped off and he wasn't doing that as much, but he still averaged 64 points a game, uh, which was 61 points a game in 2020, 62 in 2019. It was sort of trending up. You know, we kind of expected his average to be better than a couple of points, but there's a lot more in the numbers when you look at it. It was really a lot better than the couple of points. Um, it was one of those things where he started off playing 80 minutes a game and he absolutely killed it for the first two months. So when you're really dissecting what Barnett did last year, um, seven out of his 23 games weren't 80 minutes. Yeah. And when he was playing 80 minutes, he actually averaged 68 points a game. And that's good. You know, that meant that he, he was seven points undervalued on last year when he was doing that 80-minute role. But if you look at that first two months of the season when you're picking him for round one, he actually did 75 points a game for the first two months. Granted, there was some uh, kicking in there, uh, but he had two tons as well, which was his only two tons. So he had a, a 105 and 106 points. Now, that's a really good start for Barnett. Obviously, it tapered off quite a bit, but the minutes tapered off, off a bit as well, especially in the middle. You know, he went through a run of five weeks where everyone just wanted to kill O'Brien, where he played like 44, 47, 42, 55, 54, and 59 minutes. And it was just like that six weeks just absolutely killed him. And then he went back to the 80-minute role and he, he started going a lot better. But he was being moved between the edge and the middle. And that's that's another big question mark for him. You know, like... He had some good um, attack at times, uh, which does help him. The base attack, really, with the offloads and the tackle breaks, that really helped him. He obviously had the kicking sprinkled in, uh, a few tries that he scored. But 
if this Newcastle Knights team is going to struggle with their attack again, you know, it could be hard for him to, to find those points. But even more importantly, what's his role going to be, Luke? Because if you're going to spend that type of money, you know, he's priced at a 64 average. You don't even, you can't even do it just hoping to get that 64. You'd want to hope that he's going to do that 68 to 70 that he kind of was if he was a permanent 80 minuter. But maybe he's going to be moved from the edge to lock. Maybe he's going to be rotated. What's your take on that? Yeah, I wouldn't even consider Barney. Um, he, he's just too movable. He's the first guy that gets moved whenever anything happens. I think he'll start the season on the edge because Fitzgibbon's still working back from injury and he's the only other realistic option. But well, he'll, he'll end up at some stage playing in the middle. They'll, they'll end up putting him on the bench at some point because whenever they start going badly after 25 minutes, they drop Barnett back to come on and bring some impact in. Um, their plan at the moment, now this was pre-Brayley, so it could change because they might need to change the makeup of their bench, but their plan for round one was to be playing Kurt Mann at lock forward and Simi Sasagi on the bench, who's never played lock forward. He was going to come on and spell Mann, and he's a centre. He's never played anywhere but centre and 5 eight, and they're turning him into the lock as well, and they're going to run this man Sasagi lock roll and to me that was screaming don't pick Barney because we have no idea how that'll work like man could be terrible there Sasagi could you know look like he's a 20 year old center who's never played there um when he comes on and they could need to change it so they're, they're running and Tuaso Su's out for a couple of weeks as well so they're running into round one with two untried lock options one who's never played first grade or played lock and one who's never played lock um so if that doesn't work out, Barney could easily become the lock in that team. He's the only other guy who can really pass and do those roles they want. So at some year, at some stage of the season, if that's not working, he'll get moved to lock. If it doesn't, he'll end up on the bench. Um, one week or another, they'll decide they're not scoring enough tries and they'll put bloody Fitzgibbon out there to much to my upset. But nonetheless, that'll all happen. There's no way I'll tell you right now that he will not play 80 minutes on the edge the whole season. He never does. You can go back through his whole career and he doesn't hold one role the whole season. Um, even if he plays edge, he ends up playing the other edge or something like that. He, he's very movable and very versatile, which is great for him. And it's, it's good for Newcastle, but it's not what we're looking for in Supercoach. Yeah. And look, there's just too much value and too many good guns in that secondary forward spot that he's playing in to spend $560,000 on him. There's just, there's so many other options. Yeah, it's just the money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, if he was 400K, all right. But, you know, the other kick with their draw is that they don't even play the first buy. So you can't even plug him in like mm. a, a 400K undervalued guy that you can maybe keep and, and play the first buy and then maybe cash out a 100K profit. Like That's not even there. There isn't even an attack there that he could jag because it's it's not a good draw for him. It's it's a real struggle to, to, to put any of these guys from Newcastle in your side. But certainly I think it's a case with Barnett to close off on him that he's a, he's a good super coach player. He's going to still be a good super coach player and a good real life player. There's just going to be better options than him. And I don't think that you can run the risk of choosing him over the others because I think there's at least half a dozen others that you want to be considering in that price range. And that's pretty much the guns for Newcastle, Luke. So a little bit of a sad story that we're only going to talk two guns for him. Controversial chat here. We're going to talk Frizzell. Frizzell was a gun for them. I'm going to controversially say not to go anywhere near him. And he was a guy that came in Averaged 65 points a game, which was second best in their team. He also had a career year. Few things with that. You know, 65 points a game was up from his 63 points a game in 2020. And he's done that at the tender age of 30. He's also a guy that only played 18 of the 25 games as well, which is always going to be a bit of an issue with him. He's had a bad back for a few years now too. And then when you're looking at the numbers a little bit, you know, 
his base is solid and it always is. He's got that 50 base. Um, his tackle breaks went up a little bit, which was a little bit surprising. Uh, but his attacks basically, you know, not there too much. He scores a few tries a year and that's him. And that's sort of what he did. I think with guys like Frizzell, when you see a guy that's in their 30s now, that's that's been carrying injuries for a few years, that misses a few games each year, that has come off and, and thrown out a career year of 65 points, there's no value there for super coach. You know, he, he might very well have a, another solid season. And I really like Frizzell as a player. Like he's a really good part of that Newcastle Knights pack. I don't see any way that he's going to get better than that 65 points. And as we said, even just with his back row partner, Barnett, you know, there's just that many other back rowers that you can choose for second row forward for super coach that you, you can't consider him, even though he was Newcastle's second best super coach player. Yeah, I wouldn't be looking at him. Um, he plays on the wrong side of the field for Kalen's best ball play. He plays better on the left. Tyson's over on the right. He gets a very good base because they basically, because the Knights can't attack that way, they basically swing it right and just hit him um, because they don't have any plays to run to the edge of the field. So uh, it's not a, the worst idea because he's an absolute rhino. So if you, you just dish it to him and let him barrel into the line and put on a play the other way. But um, so his base will be okay when he's when he's playing. He'll bust some tackles and he'll, he'll do his stuff. But for the price he's at, I don't see the value. He'll, he'll miss some games from injury here and there. Uh, he'll probably do a reasonable job for Newcastle without being outstanding. But, uh, yeah, it, the back row, you've got to be going to me top shelf or, or undervalued. Um, you want to be getting guys that are 400 to 500 that we have a genuinely good reason for thinking are going to go up or you want to get someone who's going to average 70 plus and that's why you're paying the big money and I wouldn't lock him in to do that and he's not cheap so it, it, it'd be a, a no from me you're looking up I was having a scroll through the back rows today and you know there's some pretty premium historical players that are cheaper than Tyson Frizzell the guys that have had big years before last year that and they are cheaper than that. So I wouldn't be looking at him. Yeah, I think where Frizzell and, and Barnett come into play is in draft. Because I think both those guys, traditionally Tyson Frizzell always falls in draft. Yeah. Barnett was a bit undervalued too, although he had a little bit of hype coming in the last season. So he probably rose uh, the rounds coming into people's drafts. But both those guys are still going to present a bit of value because in draft, it is one of those things where, particularly the larger draft leagues, where it's it's really important to have those strong staples that are going to get you your 50, 60 points a game in your forward pack. It mm. doesn't really matter that they're not going to give you big scores or tons. And if you get them value-wise in those mid-rounds, then it's going to work out okay. So that's probably for super coach. That's going to be their relevance. But Newcastle don't even play the first buy, so we can't even use them for that. Uh, let's move on again. Let's talk about fallen guns. And this one makes me incredibly sad. I'm sure that it makes you even sadder as a Newcastle Knights fan. Bradman Best, mm. you know, I he came into the league and he just, he looked like a gun immediately. He looked like he was going to be a gun every year for 10 years. He just looked that good, you know, and then he, he tapered off a little bit, but he still ended up averaging 62 points. We were still technically gun status and, you know, playing in the centre wing, he, he was pretty solid with his base and he just looked, you know, for a young kid, had the wow factor, thought he was going to be in for a huge 2021. Only played the 16 out of the 25 games, um, had, you know, a couple of big uh, outs for injury uh, a month around the, you know, a couple, couple of rounds into the season. Then he had a big chunk between round 15 and round 19, returning in round 20. And he had a couple of other niggles in other games as well, where it was week to week and looked like he might not have played. So still a young guy, only 20. Uh, you know, that's all pretty normal, but his output was only 52 points a game. Now, from the promise that we saw, 
I'm not going to say, you know, he's a part of the reason, a big part of the reason why their attack was down, but Newcastle do have very few strike weapons. He is one guy that can be, and he wasn't striking last year, and that was very evident. He's now only going to cost you 450K as a centre-wing option this year. It's another one of those guys at an awkward spot where you can say, look, maybe he presents quite a bit of value because we saw that he was 10 points better the year before, and now he's a couple of years more experienced at playing NRL. Certainly a decent argument for that. Then there's the counter-argument that he was getting hurt a bit and he just maybe what we saw at the start, he was outplaying his ability or maybe he got worked out a little bit. That happens sometimes. When you're looking at the numbers to finish up on, you know, he only had one ton, which is 107 last season, compared to two in his 10 games that he played in 2020. Seven of his 16 games last year was sub 50. So we're talking 40% of the time he's under 50. And five out of 16, almost a third of his games were 30 or less last year and a low of 16. That's the big warning sign for me, Luke, because one of the things that I liked about Bradman Best is that he looked like he was going to have a good base and he did have a good base. That base dropped and he looked like he wasn't going to give you low scores in center wing and you're always going to get like a 40 plus. That just didn't happen last year. He had heaps of low scores. So I only did that once in 2020 where he had a 30 or less score, you know, and then he's done it, you know, half a dozen times more last year. So it's a bit of a boom or bust year for him as well. He really has to put together a good season. Do you see him being more like 10 points underpriced, where in which case he's definitely an option to consider with his base going back up potentially? Or, or do you think that it's a bit of a wary one with uh, Bradman Best and he might end up not really fulfilling the promise that we saw early in his career when he debuted? No, I like him. I like him. I, I'm, I think he's a good buy. Um, he's, you know, it'll depend a bit on your team build because he's priced around the same price as Gatoni Staggs from memory. Now, if you're only going to get one person in that range, then, then Staggs has a better history, um, I think, in terms of output than, than Best does. Uh, but, you know, he's in a bad team too. Um, if you're looking for two, I, I, I really like Best. He's, um, I think he is cheap. I, I think... When you talk about him not striking last year, he's a centre. So, you know, if your 5'8 doesn't strike, you need to put that on the 5'8, like he's running the attack. But if your centre doesn't strike, I think you you legitimately, especially when he's 19 and playing, you know, out in left centre, I think you can put that on the team. Um, and, and, you know, the obvious argument to that is that the team might not go any better this year. But I promise you that um, Bradman Best will touch the ball more times this year because... Um, Andrew Johns was nearly having coronaries every single game that he watched the Knights play on air about why they wouldn't throw him the ball. And, you know, he was doing, he does previews of all the Knights games and they're going, oh, the Knights are struggling to come up with a game plan. And he's just sitting there like wide eyed going, the game plan is get the ball, throw it to Caelan Pronger, throw it to Bradman Best. Like that's your game plan. <laughs> Send it over to that edge, give him the ball, like get Ponga the ball, have Best off his shoulder and, and give him the ball. And that's it. And, um, He's right. And, and Best is one of the other reasons I like Best is Best doesn't need to bath people. He doesn't need a really bad team to play against where you need to put him in a giant hole when he seagulls and falls over the wing for two tries. He's very strong and very quick. If they get him early ball, he beats people for himself um, and he takes out good players and, and he, he can throw them off and he's very strong for that kind of play. So I think he'll have a bounce back year. I think he'll get the ball a lot more. I think he, he's looking really fit. Um, he's had a, at the risk of putting too much into his preseason. I saw a photo of him the other day. He has dropped some weight and he admitted that he dropped some weight because he feels that under last year's rules, he was a bit heavy. Um, he looks pretty and big. He, just wanted he did to, look pretty big last year. Yeah, he did. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I th- I think that they planned for. I don't think he was not. He, he's apparently an excellent trainer, a really hard trainer. So I don't think he was mm-hmm. fat. I think he was just big. Like they made him big, and the the rules caught them out a bit. And he's he's looking still very big, but he just looks leaner. He looks very very lean and and big and strong. And it, it, they sort of talking like they've tried to get him in that sort of nick, and they want him to get a lot of the ball. So I, I think he'll have a good year. I think he's a solid buy. I don't think he's ever the guy that's going to average like. He's not going to be that guy that has that 80 year, you know, like a semi-rad Radra, wild, Ruben Garrick, crazy years. But he's the guy that could be up there in the 60s most seasons of his career, um, just plugging away in the top five to six sort of options somewhere. So when he's cheap, it's not a bad time to get on him. Um, and yeah, like it's the one night that I'm backing relatively hard is I, I think I'm not calling him a must-have, not saying you need to go out and buy him. But if you've got that much money left, um, you're in that four to 500 range for a center. Don't be scared. I reckon he's a good boy. Yeah, and I would say in support of that too that he's every everyone in their dog is on Katoni Stags at the moment, which I do understand, and he's Ooh. definitely a consideration. And I'll cover that with Wilfred in the Broncos chat that's coming up in a week or so. But you know, he's mm. Bradman Best is every bit as talented as what Katoni Stags is. You know, he's he's got he's got all that mm. talent that Stags has. Everyone salivates about Stags's talent. His ability to have these big games and just to murder people with the ball in hand. You know, Bradman Best has all that. He can do it. The other thing, too, is that Bradman Best can't do any worse than last year. But there's, it really was yeah. a bad season, not just for Newcastle, but if you saw Bradman Best play, there was a lot of games that just weren't good for him. And the scores reflected that. Like I said, it was disgusting, some of the scores. You know, he scored 16 in a game, a third of his games were like 30. You know, it was, it was terrible. He only scored three tries in his 16 games. He will not go through another year in his career, I would say, where he has three out of 16 strike rate in scoring. Uh, I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say that. So there's definitely some upside. I guess how much. Um, I kind of agree with you that he's never going to be a guy that averages 75 or 80 and you know has that big year like a, a Brett Morris or, or more recently than some Red Rider, Brett Morris type of year. But he is a guy that I think would edge towards 70 as his ceiling, as his peak. I could see that. Um, but the big thing for him to get his value up, he's just got to score two or three more tries, which he should be able to do. You know, five out of 16 scoring, six out of 16 scoring, that type of strike rate. That's not too much to ask. And the big thing is he's going to get his base and base attack back up. Yeah, if he starts running the ball more and getting his tackle breaks, that's going to mean that he's got that good floor, which is what we loved about him when he came in. So it means that you're always going to get your, you know, your 50-odd even in a bad game, which sort of negates their, their early draw with some of the bad matchups. Uh, but it also means that when he does score those uh, tries that it should be coming more often, that he's more chance of getting those tons as we again saw at a 20% strike rate the year before versus like a 4% strike rate a tonning in 2021. So I do think he's a bounce back. It's just a matter of whether he's, he's going to be your center wing out of all the other options. If you're only going to spend 450 K plus on one, you know, that's, that's going to be the issue. If you're going to spend 450 K plus on, on three center wings because you want to go center wing heavy. He's definitely a, a consideration, uh, and he's going to be one that I would, I would guess his ownership at below five percent. Yeah, it's probably right. I think I think Stags will be the one everyone's on. So yeah, I, I wouldn't think he'd have huge ownership. Yep. So continuing on the falling guns tour, there's another guy that had a great 2020 year, and then in 2021 fell back again for Supercoach purposes anyway, and that it was Daniel Saifidi. So Daniel Saifidi in 2020 was a bit of a revelation. Uh, he was very super coach relevant as a front row forward that was averaging, averaging 63 points a game. And, you know, he came onto the scene 
round one against the Bulldogs, scoring a double at 128 points, which was just huge. You know, he didn't score again until round 12, but he had a really solid year, averaging 63 points a game, and he did it in only 48 minutes. So he only got a few minutes more than he did the year before. Six minutes extra in 2021, okay? So he ended up playing 54 minutes a game and only scored 59 points for that. For the mathematicians out there, that's 15% more minutes for 7% less points. It's, it's, it begged the question whether he is a guy that needs to not play the bigger minutes because he's more effective in the lower ones or did he just have a bad year and he suffered because of Newcastle's woes and he's going to be a bit better when they've got it together this year. He's obviously not going to be priced cheap, but front row forward's a really interesting spot, Luke, because when you're having a look there, it's obviously somewhere that people don't want to spend uh, and there really isn't a huge amount of options that are home runs. You know, Payne Haas comes to mind. I don't think there's too many others that you can definitely hit on and, and know that you're going to get great scores out of or know that are going to be huge value. Daniel Saifidi is 515000 He's in that price range. It's cheap enough to have a go if you want two good starting front row forwards. But we've never seen 2020 before. Granted, he's a young guy that's only 25 this year, but you know, 2019 to 2017, he was always a 45, 49, 41 point scorer. His minutes were actually pretty similar to his 2020 breakout. He averaged like 48 minutes a game between 2017 and 2019. And in 2020, that same amount of minutes equated to a hell of a lot more points. So where do you stand on Saifidi? I think he's playing really well in real life. He, he, he's a, um, a excellent front row, but I thought he scored a lot of tries the year before. His game has moved away a little bit from being that super coach friendly, doesn't offload ever, um, and he's probably making a few less tackle butts and a few more just finding his front and really being that play one guy. He did it for New South Wales pretty well. But he was the best front row in the Origin Series pretty comfortably. He just runs the ball forward. Um, uses his big bumper bars and plays the ball relatively quick, landing on his front. And then you get a a lot more spectacular things happening from his brother, um, who's probably a bit more wild than he is with it. I I wouldn't be looking at Daniel for super coach. He'll be there and thereabouts where he's been last year. I'd say it's, it's just, he's the better he's got. He has become a little bit less dynamic um, over the last year and a half, but I, I, as a Knights fan, I, I was really happy with how he played last year. I thought he was easily our best front rower and I thought he was New South Wales best, but it's just not always super coach friendly. And that's been the way for a lot of years. There's been plenty of good front rowers that haven't really been anywhere near your first picked in super coach. It's a position that doesn't always translate across that well um, because, you know, people who break a million tackles running sideways and throw a million offloads aren't always necessarily the best prop in, in real life. And I think that's where he's at. I, I'd compare him a little bit to a, um, he's not as good as him, but he's a little bit like a, a Warrior Hargraves in that Warrior Hargraves has had a lot of years over the last few that have been very good, but they don't, they just don't always translate super coach wise unless he's on the field for 70 to 80 minutes because it's just running, making really good, valuable, hard runs and playing the ball just is still only two points. You know what I mean? Um, and it's just not, it's not really enough. You know, we'll, we'll go to a rugby league cemetery conversation a little bit and go back 20 years, but you know, it's like when you think about, you know, I always say when people are talking to me about the Roosters and, you know, who's your favourite prop that played for them, I'd, I always talk about guys like mm. Adrian Morley and, and to a lesser extent, you know, Jason Kalis, yeah. um, who were just animals and they would just 
absolutely pulverize people. But if you do that in super coach scoring, you know, you're still only getting <laughs> the same points for a, yeah. a, a pretty crappy tackle that's getting someone to ground to Adrian Morley putting someone off on a stretcher with a massive hit. You know, it's yeah, not, yeah, not any different than the points. That's right. That, that's a bit where I see Safed, he's, he's, he's a really valuable and a really good player, but it, it, I don't think it translates all that well because he's just going to run the ball hard, be difficult to pin down. And he puts a lot of shots on. He puts a lot of really good contact first contact tackles on that count for one. And sometimes, because he really goes chest on and whacks people, sometimes they bounce off and it's still good in real life because they bounce backwards and someone else gets them. But it can sometimes not even be worth a point. Um, you know, like you get a point for a flop, but not for whacking someone if they sort of fall backwards and someone else gets them. So I, I, I wouldn't look at him. And if you got him in your team, I'd just look somewhere else. I think in the price range, you can get other options. Um, look for front rowers that break tackles and offload and, you know, or are severely underpriced. And I don't think he's either of those things. Yeah. One thing that I've always liked to do, and I was doing it a bit last year, and it, it sort of worked with Tavita Pangai Jr. But speaking to Tim Moody, you ended up taking out Supercoach last year. Shout out to Tibby. He, um, he had a really good strategy where he said one of the things that he likes to do is to just stock up front row on, on second rowers, you know, get those dual guys in there that are actually back rowers. And that certainly worked last year with Papali at Parramatta and certainly worked, you know, with Tavita Pangai Jr. for his runs. And I, I loved having TPJ for that reason. I'd be looking at something like that, really, outside of Payne Haas. There's a lot of decent options that we will talk about that are second rowers that are going to be available at front row forward. And those are some good options too. So I feel he's not going to kill you. He, he's got a 50 base. that has been pretty consistent. And I think that he's going to have that again. I'd probably peg him for about 60 points this year. Uh, I think you'll go up by a point and that's not going to be any value. It's not going to be bad scoring. Uh, it is going to be value for draft though. You'll probably get him in a good spot for draft because no one will value the front rowers except for like Payne Haas and some of the premiums. And as a pure front row forward, you'll probably get him pretty later in the mid-rounds, and that's going to be decent for draft. Let's move along. We're going to talk about... I'm not going to put him under fallen guns because he hasn't fallen yet, but I'm going to say this is my predicted fallen gun for next year. I'm going to say that Dane Gagai is going to have a big fall from grace. Now, Gagai had a phenomenal season. Uh, I've got a shout-out to Wilfred because Wilfred was on him, and I was hassling him a little bit about it at the time, and he had some bad games, and I think that you were on board hassling Wilfred with me. And uh, we were like, what are you looking at? Because, you know, when you look at seasons 2017 through to 2020, Dane Gagai did 54, 51, 47 and 56 points. It's all very similar. It's all not very excitable as a back. You just sort of thought, why? And then Wilfred said, oh, he's got good base. And, you know, I think me and you both were on the same page with Gagai. We both agreed with that, but we sort of said, well, yeah, but he doesn't score enough or have enough of a ceiling. He had, a, he had a really big year. He ended up scoring 115 points in one game and a massive 149 in another, which were two huge scores. But 68 points was 12 points better than 2020, and 2020 was already his best year. He had a 33-point raw base, and he was just he just seemed to be involved in so much of their attack. Now, 10 tries at a 50% strike rate is fantastic. Is he going to do that at a Newcastle Knights side? that scored the second least points in the league last year and going into a new team and a new system under a new coach at the age of 31. Yeah. I, I really don't see him backing up a career year. In fact, I think it's going to be a sub 60. I think he's well overpriced. He's not going to be scoring the sort of points he did at South. He's not going to be getting the same opportunity that he did at South and all these numbers, they're going to go down. So that's me on, on Dame Gagai. He's obviously going to be oh, look a huge chunk of cash. If you wanted to buy him, you know, and oh, I don't think that I've seen him in anyone's team, but if you're going to get him, he's 600K. 
now for 600k you'd rather go up to some of the really big center wing options or, or go down to those sort of 400 to 450 range like we spoke about with like a stags and even a best and so forth so um where do you sit on gagai do you agree that he's going to struggle a little bit in, in the newcastle move he's not going to get the opportunity at south or do you think he's going to flourish in his first year uh if you've got dan gagai in your team you should delete it that's a terrible decision. <laughs> There's no basis whatsoever for having Dane Gago in your super coach team. He's, um, for starters, he was playing left centre at South, and it's been confirmed that Bradman uh, Best will hold the left centre spot and Gago will play back on the right. Um, yep. Go back to the big deal. Je- go look at what Jesse Ramian did when he came to the Knights at right centre. <laughs> he's like, you know, he's a 20-point worse player than he was at the Sharks any, any year that he's played, you know, regardless of whether you think Jesse Raymond's that good in real life. He, he is super coach. He's pretty handy, and he, um, he was nowhere near it at Newcastle. He was awful, and the Knights can't pass the ball to the right-hand side of the field. They've never been able to. None of the players have signed to suggest they'll be able to now, and if they do, Dan Gagai has never been a factor in super coach at right centre. Um, he was predominantly playing over the left side of the field this, uh, last year on South's, you know, uh, particularly attacking edge. Um, I know he shifted and, um, and moved around a little bit, but but he played a lot of his best football on the left, and it's been confirmed that he won't be playing there for Newcastle. So I, he's in a worse team that cannot pass to the right-hand side of the field. His best super coach football has come when he's on the left where he won't be playing. Um, I just don't see any reason for it. I'd just move on. He's coming off working with the spine of Latrell Mitchell, Adam Reynolds, Cody Walker, and Damian Cook at nine. Uh, I think it's a pretty big, pretty big step down on the opportunity that he's going to get presented to him. So yeah. you, you should not go anywhere near him. And I'll even go one step further and say I'm not. I wouldn't even look at him in draft whatsoever. Uh, I just I, he'll go too early in draft for me as well. So I mean that's that's the fallen guns and the predicted falling gun. Um, who on average is actually, you know, should be Newcastle's best player if he did what he did last year. Don't think it's going to happen. We've got a fantastic big balls pod to talk about now, though, Luke. And I'm excited for this one because this is a huge balls pod, but I think it could actually pay off. Before I do that, though, I need to talk about the sponsor of the All-Stars podcast, and that is Top Sport. Top Sport are a 100% Australian-owned bookmaker. They're a fantastic bookmaker to jump on if you want to have a bet, but make sure you do it responsibly if you are going to gamble. They've already got their NRL markets up. I spoke about it last week with Gilly. You know, if you are a massive Knights fan, you could go and have a little bit of flutter because you're going to get probably best odds in market on Top Sport if you wanted to have a bet on the Knights to make the eight. So you'll almost get three to one on your money at Top Sport if you want Newcastle to make the eight. Um, if you think that they're not going to and you agree with, well, definitely me, you're only going to get $1.50 on it. But, you know, you can have a gamble or or look at uh, multiing that with a few other bets as well for the NRL season. But they've got so many uh, uh, so many markets up for the NRL at the moment on top sport. You can go for the premiership. You can go to make the eight, miss the eight. You can even just go for the season wins uh, or just to take the minor premiership. Uh, there's so many different futures bets are already up on top sport and they're going to be putting up a lot more in the coming weeks and months heading into the NRL season. So if you are going to have a gamble, jump on top sport, make sure you use the promo code SC all stars. And if you throw that in, when you create an account on top sport, they'll know that you're coming from this podcast as one of our listeners and they'll take great care of you when you're putting on your bets. Let's move on to that big balls pod. Jacob Saifidi. Now a lot of people are going to talk about Jacob Saifidi, you know, maybe in draft, but as a late-round flyer uh, for Classic, people are probably going to say, Barnsley, why are you talking about Jacob Saifidi for? 
Very good reason, guys. So bear with me. Okay. And it is a big boss pod. So for the new listeners, big boss pod isn't just a pod. It's a, it's a real out there pod that is going to be risky, but has huge upside if it does come off and is going to be set ownership. And I'm going to say he's going to be 2% and under ownership, ownership, but he played a really good season last year. I really like the look at Jacob Saifidi. He's coming into this season at just over 400K, $407,000. He showed really good signs. And I think that if you break up what he did last season, Luke, you can really see where his potential is. So particularly when you look at rounds one to 10, he only averaged 33 points a game and he was only playing 33 minutes. From round 11 onwards, he was actually scoring 56 points a game in 52 minutes a game. And his PPM the last couple of years basically says he's a beast in the making. He's just got to get the opportunity. He started to get the opportunity, you know, especially the second half of last year. Saifidi got the opportunity and he looked like what his PPM suggested he would. Now, he's coming in very undervalued at about 400K if he's going to play 50-odd minutes. It's just a question of what position he's going to play, whether he's going to be getting those minutes or whether he's going to be going back and starting again at 33 minutes a game like he did for the first 10 rounds. If he does that, he's going to be a killer. But if he comes in and he ends up playing that 50-plus minute mark, you know he could very easily average 55 points a game um, and that wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. And I really like the look of him as a player. He managed to do a 41 base last year, 43 minutes a game. So you can just see there with the uptick, you know, 52 minutes a game should be an extra nine points just in the base plus the extra tackle break that he'll get. You know, he'll get to 55 pretty easily if he's going to get the minutes from O'Brien. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Look, he's a he's an excellent player. He's my I'm a real champion of Jacob Saifedi because I, I think he was getting uh, he's a bit underrated now. People have accepted Daniel's good, but I don't think a lot of people outside of Newcastle realise how good he actually is. Uh, he he should be if I was him, I would be setting the goal of trying to make the New South Wales side. I don't think it's unrealistic at all. And um, I've heard Fitler talk that he's not that far away either. And it's um, it's one of those things that if it happens, you'll get all these people from Sydney who think they know football because they only watch Sydney teams play and think nobody else <laughs> plays outside of Sydney. Um, not that I have a small town mentality here that we'll get, oh, what's he in the team for? And they'll name some idiot that plays for the team coming second that's better than him who isn't. Um, he is a really good front rower, like an outstanding front rower. He, he, he got Clemmer benched in the middle of the year rightly because he was totally outplaying him. Um, he was fairly substantially outplaying Daniel at some parts of the year. They're very different players now. Um, but, you know, Daniel Saifedi was the best player, uh, the best prop in the Origin Series for the winning side. And his brother was always better than him growing up all the way through the grades until first grade, where he just didn't come on for a few years. And, and Daniel did. And no one was really sure why Jacob didn't. But it seems from hearing him talk over the last couple of years, it seems sort of his twin brother make all these rep sites and be the captain and all this to sort of, spurred him into realizing that you know there's not much excuse for him <laughs> to not be doing that and uh, you know like they're exactly the same physically and he was always a, a better player than him um coming through and i think he's really exceptional in, in real life and i probably just made that clear but super coach the worry is just clemmer being there it's just i don't know that you can go in i mean if he's starting round one and clemmer's on the bench that's good but you know david clemmer I'm really cold on as a 
as a footballer at the moment. I think he's, the rules don't suit him, and I think he's really fallen off. He's calmed down. He's, he's been disappointing years, in just about every way. Like like he's, he's been disappointing for Supercoach. Yeah. He's been disappointing yeah. in real life. And there's also been the talk mm. now for 18 months of him wanting to not be there, or or maybe he's being shopped, or maybe he's going to be moving. Mm. And it hasn't happened. Well, I, I mean, so. you have to sort of I ask so. yourself then <laughs> if, if, if that is true or there's any substance to that, whether... He is going to get benched, yeah. and also whether his his head's really in it because, like you said, he he wasn't really going as aggressive last year at all. Um, he was sort of we always talked about him as meat and mm. potatoes, but that's really for super coach for real life. He was meat and potatoes with with a lot of aggression and you know leading the way as a mm. an alpha type prop, and it just wasn't there last year. And if that's the case, well, I could easily see him coming off the bench round one. Well, obviously, TLT is going to be really important, but you know, if Clemens on the bench round run and you've got Jacob Saifidi starting and you want to pay 400k or less for a second front row forward, I don't think there's many options in that price range right now. No, I see it, and I'm not saying don't do it, but there's just that it's always going to be there, you know. Like if they come out and they run with that, that then that's what I do. The twins like playing together, they feed off each other really well. Um, I didn't mind how always having one on the field either, though. That was quite handy because you always had sort of one of them there. But they, they like to play together and it worked quite well. But as soon as you don't win a couple of games, coaches are always looking to do something. And at Newcastle, the doing something is, you know, Barnett gets moved or alternatively you start to go, well, how can we shake things up? And the first thing you're going to look at is that you've got David Clemmer on the bench and you're going to go, oh, we've got this bloke cooling his heels, he's done all this in the game. That'll just be the first thing if they lose a couple of games that they'll shake up. So, you know, the coaches have always got to be seen to be doing something and it might be a dumb idea but or a meaningless change, but that's the sort of thing that'll happen is Clemmer will end up getting his turn or his go. And even just him sitting there makes me uncomfortable picking the other props because, you know, he could just easily play 60-plus minutes in the NRL whenever he feels like it. And if he's sitting there on the bench, I just I, I don't want any of them, all the three of them are playing. If one of them gets mm. injured, uh, if one of the three get injured, I'm actually really interested in the other two, you know? Like if, if it, and I hope this doesn't happen because we've already lost Braley, but if one of the three of them was to get seriously injured in the preseason, you could almost start both the other two and say they're going to get big minutes but while they're all there I'm just uh, I think Saifidi's entered the category of the other two in terms of being very clearly a, a leading NRL player who needs minutes and the three of them are going to have to share those a bit and it might be up and down and I'd just rather probably stay away from all of them I think. Yeah look it, it's hard to take a punt on a big balls pod like a Jacob Saifidi, particularly when they are also playing for the Newcastle Knights who we're pegging to not have the best season potentially. So pretty hard one. I, I'm not going to go there. I, look, I, I might think about it if he's, if he's a round one pick, but I doubt it. But, you know, you have to really look at all the options. It wouldn't surprise me if he ends up going okay because I think that the big caveat to finish on is he just has to do what he was doing round 11 onwards. And, you know, he already did it for 60% plus of the season. You know, he just has to do that. And and it was what, it wasn't how he started. It was how he finished and what the coach decided to do from third into the season. So that sort of bodes pretty well. And it was certainly effective for him, for his form anyway. He's just got to, he's just got to do that again and continue on from what they were yeah. doing last year. And, yeah. And it was effective for the team too. It's easy to just write. Newcastle offers having been bad, but their forward pack wasn't bad. We got lots of opportunities. One of the reasons people were frustrated with the attack was they got plenty of ball to attack with. The Saifides and, and the Frizzells and Barnetts got them down the other end and ran over teams and put them down there and they did nothing with it. So, you know, 
he doesn't need the Knights to go better or to do anything different. What, what the forwards did, they don't need to change. They, they, they did their job. And if he's going to do that again, um, the, if I was coaching, there'd be no reason to change what Jacob Saifidi did last year. It was effective in real life for the Knights as well as for him as super coach, for sure. So I see where you're coming from. Um, I'm probably going to stay away, but I get the price and, you know, there's something in it because he can, he can play. He can, He's a seriously good front rower. The thing that I would like to see, and it's not going to happen because I'm not an NRL coach, but I I would put, if I needed to make a change, and it's something that I would think should go through O'Brien's head, like the, all the talk is that Kurt Mann is going to be the starting 13. Okay. If Kurt Mann's mm. a starting 13 and three weeks in, you need to make a change. What you should be changing is putting Jacob Saifidi at 13 and putting Kurt Mann on the bench. And all of a sudden, that's a way to start David Clemmer. Uh, and I think that Jacob Saifidi would actually be quite suited um, to 13 if you want to play that style. You know, it's a pretty tough tough to handle physically Newcastle pack if you have him at 13, especially when you're replacing Kurt Mann, who's obviously not a forward and not physical at all. You know, it gives them a very different dynamic. Um, and I would like to see that. And I think that that might be a a way to do it. Um, the other thing too is that, you know, Lachlan Fitzgibbon, if they're going to try and start him on an edge and Barnett at 13, you know, even if that happens, Lachlan Fitzgibbon can fall out of the side very easily, put Barnett in it, uh, you know, on the edge again. And then you've got the vacant 13 jersey where you can put in Jacob Sofiti. I would be thinking about doing that sort of stuff, but whether O'Brien thinks the same as me is very questionable, Luke. So I'm going to say he doesn't. No, he, O'Brien's just a O'Brien's just one of those everyone sneezes and he copies it. He's putting Kurt Mann at lock because he watched enough teams have a small lock who passes the ball, so he's putting one there. He doesn't want. He might have three big forwards and that might make perfect sense, but he doesn't have the um, intellect as a coach or the ability as a coach to see that. All he sees is that Victor Radley passes the ball and Cameron Murray passed the ball from lock. Ergo, we need to get someone who passes the ball from lock, even if they're crap, rather than using our three big forwards. Um, same with, you know, uh, Tom Lolo not playing lock at North Queensland. It's the same thing. Like everyone, Blind Freddie can see what's best for them, but they're just going to copy whatever the top teams are doing, even though they don't have Isaiah Yo or Victor Radley or, you know, Cameron Murray. So that, I don't think it'll happen, but I see what you mean. Um, I think the only other thing on the Saifides, it applies to both of them, particularly Jacob, is that one thing the Knights did design uh, fix in their attack last year was in the second half of the year, they shifted them to the edge to about three players wide of the post every time they got in the 15 metre zone so that they could throw flat, like so that they started to put them in position so the half and 5-8 could dish to them running flat out a bit wider rather than being sort of standing under the post where you've got three guys bunched and running into them. They started using them as to try and run a try-scoring line a couple wider because they are very hard to handle up top. They very rarely, if you watch any Knights game, they bump a bar off pretty much everyone in the competition um, with that first hit. And they used them out there and they snuck a few tries doing stuff like that. So um, Braley out will hurt them a bit there again. But um, if you are interested in, in them, you know, they're not a bad shot to score some tries against the weaker sides because they, they do now drift wider to run specifically to try and score a try as a try-scoring weapon in the line. And it makes a big difference at prop because if you've got props that can get over five times or something for the year, that that's really big for their statistics compared to everyone else. It can make a big difference. Yep. yep. Well, I mean, you mentioned Kurt Mann. So let's move on to the mids and cheapies for the Newcastle Knights mm. specific coach. And Kurt Mann is obviously going to be one of them. If he's starting at 13, uh, I understand why. I guess the big problem with that is, one, 
it doesn't make sense, like you said, for O'Brien to do this. But obviously, Connor Watson's moved on and he's looking for somebody who's, who's mobile that can go in at 13 and run. And, you know, Kurt Mann ended up having a very down year last year, but he was playing 6-1, 7-3, sometimes bench, you know, scored 44 points a game. So at least he's priced much lower than 2020, where he's doing 64 points a game. It's a bit of a weird one for me. I don't understand why they're doing it. I don't see the value for Newcastle to have Kurt Mann at 13. I do see why people will look at it, though, because suddenly that's going to be a super coach option that is a centre wing that's a, a lock that's going to be available at your centre wing for super coach. So that's always appealing. Kurt Mann isn't someone who is a forward, though, so it's a bit different. It'll be interesting to see if Supercoach update it so he gets dual position before the season starts because they they do do an update, um, something that some people might not know. They do do an update with looking at errors that they've made potentially or also where guys are going to play. And if there's certainty that Kurt Mann is going to be at 13, maybe he'll be a dual second row forward centre wing, which will make him even more valuable. But 383000 you know, he's cheap enough to definitely have a look, but he might not be cheap enough to be much of a home run because we don't really know what his work rate's going to be like and how effective he's going to be. And one of the good points that a few people have brought up, but one that I thought of immediately is how many times did we own Connor Watson last year to see him named at 13 at TLT? And then all of a sudden we get to the game and Suaso Su is the 13 and, and Watson's on the bench, you know, and O'Brien and some other coaches think, oh, that, that fools the opposition. It doesn't really, it just annoys people. But, you know, that happened all the time. It wouldn't surprise me if the same thing happens with Kurt Mann. So there's that hanging over him as well. If you're looking at projecting him, Luke, like say he plays 50 minutes a game, you know, he's already priced at 44 from 2021. Maybe he gets that to, you know, 50. Maybe he gets it to 52. But is it really worth, you know, six or eight points to, to bother having Kurt Mann there, who isn't really going to have much ceiling when you're putting him in a, a, as a starting 13 in your centre wing. Uh, he's also not going to have a fantastic base. So he's a bit of a tweener. You know, he's a bit in between on the price. If he's 300k, you'd probably like it a bit more. If he was a bit more of a worker, you'd probably like it a bit more. If he was someone who had a really high ceiling, you'd like it a bit more. But it's just in between on all that stuff. Yeah, well, it, it, Connor Watson's a great comparison because just go and look at what Connor Watson scored. And Connor, I think we will all agree that Connor Watson is a better super coach player than Kurt Mann. Yeah. Um, you know, not just Billy. The rest of us will agree fairly heavily on, <laughs> on that. Um, and he's got a great PPM, Watson always has. And, and he wasn't, uh, he was a good start last year, but he wasn't an automatic hold all year. He, he wasn't just belting it out every year. A lot of the time he'd be 35 points and save it with a, a late assist or break and get to 50 and, and all that sort of thing. And he started cheap, so that was fine. But man, man is going to score, I would say, less than Connor Watson did. So go and look and see if you were happy with Connor and if you, you know, sub five to 10 points off it, because it's probably what you're looking at. And to me, that that's not enough. Um, on the flip side, the plan was for him to play lock with Simi Sasagi to play middle off the bench, um, which is totally and utterly belted and so stupid. I, I can't even say it. But um, anyway, if that was to be the actual plan, Sasagi has, I'll repeat again what I said earlier in the podcast, has never played lock forward in any capacity or in the forwards and is a centre. Um, so maybe Mann's looking at 60-plus minutes because I can't imagine Sasagi could possibly be looking at playing that long, um, learning this position. But the kicker for me in terms of ruling man out is that I think the uncertainty with the hooker complicates it now. I think he's going to... I, 
I don't know what the plan is exactly, but Rand, they can't possibly be planning to play Randall 80 minutes all season. So if they don't sign anyone, someone's going to have to do some pinch hitting. Maybe it's not every week. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But but he's going. I think there's enough doubt that he's going to spend some time at hooker, or at least will be the option if Randall needs a rest or if he gets hurt or something that you need to stay away because he'll be poisoned if he's playing half a game at hooker. Um, but will he really know, in the center wing? Because I mean, like, if it means he's going to get more minutes, like, hear me out. Like, if oh, I don't think it'll mean more minutes. I think if he's going to play some hooker, he'll just play less at lock forward. Yeah, uh, okay, because I was going to say, you know, if yeah. he ends up yeah. going 40, 40 at yeah. lock and 20 at hooker, you know, because I think that's kind of what man needs. He needs to be in those 60s in his minutes, even even playing mm. in the forwards. He's got to be in the 60s, you know, like... He Connor needs to be in reserve in... grade. That's what he well, needs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, for whatever reason, NRL coaches don't believe this, but, you know, mm. it's... Yeah. It, Connor Watson did 59 minutes a game last year. Um, mm. And he did 59 points a game. And I kind of agree yeah. with you. You know, man's range is probably going to be in the vicinity of 48 to 55 points a game. He's not going to do what Watson did. Um, and that's that's not a great range. But if somehow he got to mm. 62, 63, 64 minutes a game, you know, mm. maybe, maybe that's enough for him. But it's a big if on the minutes. And that's the thing. If he's playing... Any less than 60s, I don't think that you can look at him too heavily just because I think there's just going to be other mm. options that are going to be better. I, I don't think he'll be terrible, by the way. Like some no, some people no. that hate Kurt Mann are saying it'll be, it'll be an awful option. I, I, really, I don't think it's going to be awful. I just don't think it's going to be stunning for you. He's going to give you some okay, um, you know, 40-something scores that are going to look okay when one of your centre wings you know, on a wing scores 16 points. But then the yeah. next week when that centre wing gets a double and scores 78 and you've got, you know, man staring at 42 points that week, it's not going to feel as great. You know, I think that's that's going to be the issue. He'll probably make his 100K eventually because he'll go over the stripe at some point. But you might have to wait three months for that to happen. So it's it's not a definite no. Um, and certainly if he's named at round, you know, 13 at round one and there's big talk that he's going to definitely be there and he's going to play heavy minutes. And, you know, I understand considering him and you probably should. But it's it's by no means a slam dunk or something that you should definitely be doing, even though he's only three hundred eighty three thousand. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I'm I'm not getting him. If you're going to spend three to four hundred thousand, find someone that you play the game properly and find someone that get a hundred, not forty five every week. Have a run, have yeah. a crack at someone that's going to go big for you. And if they come off, you get a good start. You know. Yeah, and like to confirm too, especially for the newer super coaches, like you might see that, you know, a lot of people say anytime that you've got a forward that's going to be starting, that's eligible at centre when you grab them. Yeah, it's true for pure forwards. You know, when when you have Angus Crichton doing that, who is a real forward who is available at centre wing when he was at the time, you know, you grab them. Um, when you've got a Talakai who, when he was starting, um, was available at centre wing, you, you grab those guys. You know, it's it's guys that are actual forwards that have the work rate in the PPM. Those are the guys that are gold. More recently, Yo was fantastic for Penrith. He was golden. But, you know, you look at his base scores, he had 65 base scores and, you know, some of them with like 75 in base and some crazy games as well. That's what you want in your centre wing, you know, those real forwards. You don't want a guy that's just in the forward pack that doesn't actually have any of the forward skills to get that sort of base. That's the problem yeah. with Kurt Man. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, moving on to another guy that you mentioned, Randall. So obviously, hooker is a spot where a lot of people want to spend as little as possible on their second hooker spot, on their reserve hooker. 
And one of the things that the Bailey injury does open up is for Chris Randall to start at nine, which looks like it's all but confirmed. You know, he averaged 35 points a game last year, only playing 39 minutes a game. Uh, He only had the one game that he actually, or sorry, he only had the two games where he had big minutes. Um, He had a 73 minute game where he scored 30 points, not one that you'd like to base buying him off on. Uh, and then he finished the season playing 77 minutes and scored 81 points that game. Much better game, although it had a line break try. But, you know, he still had good base in that one. So, obviously, we don't have a huge amount of data on Randall Luke. He's played six games in 2020, five games in 2021. He's going to be one of the cheaper options that you know is going to be, you know, a starting hooker for for a team, 245,000. We might not see any starting hookers for an NRL squad for round one name anyone cheaper than, than Chris Randall. So definitely some appeal there. Um, I'm certainly looking at him just to plug him in there. But like you said, the the worry is that he's not going to be an 80-minute hooker. Um, I guess you could probably peg him as a 60-minute hooker potentially, in which case, you know, maybe that's sort of 50 points a game, which is going to make a huge amount of money. I definitely see him as an option. And to be honest, he's probably going to be my second one at the moment. Yeah, I think you should get on him. Um, I think he's a good, good buy. He's um, showing he makes a lot of tackles, which is a really good thing. Um, I, I think uh, he's he's played big minutes when he's played, but he's come in. He's been injured a lot, like he's broken things and he's got himself hurt a lot. So I think uh, it'll really depend on what the Braley diagnosis. If they think he has to play all year, Randall, I just I think they'll know that if he plays eighty minutes, he's going to get burnt into the ground by mid year or hurt. So if, they, if they're not planning to get another hooker or they don't think Braley will be back, I think they'll have to manage him from day dot to the 60-minute mark. But if they think, you know, um, Darius Boyd, I think, did an Achilles and got himself back by round 10 when he did it in December. So if Braley was going to be back at, say, round 16 or so, like if that ends up being the post-surgery diagnosis or whatever, that he could get back mid-year, they might think that Randall, they can afford to, to play him hard. Um, and, and playing those big minutes. But either way, I'd be getting him. I, I've looked through the hooker ranks, and one of the, my big disappointments was that I don't want to waste a trade. I, I just wanted to get Harry Grant, even though he's out for round one, but I couldn't find a backup hooker I could even play. Like in week one while he's out, I was like, I can't play anyone else if I was to do this. And, um, you know, Randall's that option. You could, pl- I'd be playing him in year 17 at the start of the year because he should get the minutes to, if you've gone gun heavy and you're, not, you're going to have a lot of cheapies on your bench, he's someone that you can, you can play early doors for those first few weeks while you're getting your team strong. And I can't see anyone, to be honest, that has the role he's going to have as a cheapie. There just doesn't seem to be anyone. The Knights have got no other specialist hooker in the squad at all. If anyone plays there, it'll have to be Crossland, who's a halfback, or Man, who's a I don't know what, but not a hooker. Um, and there's, they, they just don't have another hooker there. So he's going to have to play 50, 60, 70 minutes at dummy half in games because there is no one else on the roster that can play. So I'd be locking him in and playing him for, for, for a little bit. Yeah, and his PPM across 11 career games is, is mm. around about 0.91. So that's it's pretty mm. decent, obviously a reasonably small sample size, but... Even if he's got his, you know, sixty odd minutes, he's still going to give you fifty points. And at that price tag of, you know, two hundred forty five thousand, he might be one of the better cheapies that you'll find for round one, as it stands. You might for not sure. ever get a better mm-hmm. one. So, you know, that's an easy path to two hundred k plus. Uh, that's pretty much a no brainer, I think, unless you really like a mid range, sort of, you know, potish second hooker that you want to play in your seventeen. 
um, which and the thing the thing with that is when you look at yeah th- th- there are but when you look at those guys they always if you go and look at what they average for the season it'd be a big call to leave out Randall for someone if you look at what they tend unless you really think they've got a good run those guys in the middle if you're not an elite hooker you might average fifty something or something and it's so easy for Randall to get. 240s and then get a try and get a 65 mm. and beat them, you know, like it's so easy for these cheap guys. And it, you see it, you know, you and I have sort of been on the wrong side of it before when you, you pivot away from someone and they just score twice in the first five weeks and kill you Yeah, because you've paid 200 grand more and, you know, it only takes and, and, and Randall can get a try and he, he does back himself to do that and that sort of thing. And especially in that position, he could easily pass it to one of the Safidis for a try and he gets his assist. And that's, you know, at, if he's making 50 tackles, that's a 70 plus it. So I, I would, I, I get what you're saying, but I, I would, I'd think hard before I did that because it doesn't take much for these cheaper guys to match them over a short, Jacob Little did it last year. It doesn't take much to go right for these guys to just match those mid ranges really easily. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't do it. Mm. Um, I've just seen some teams mm. doing it yep. and trying to go for a 400 K pod as a second. And to be honest, mm. like some of it was before the news of the Braley injury. So true. everyone yeah, was true. sort of scrambling yeah. to what the hell do I do at this second hooker spot? Now we've actually got an answer, yep. you know, Randall should be one of the most highest, own players come round one if it turns out that he's at nine yeah. and there isn't many cheapies because you can't. One of the things with Supercoach it'll leave you behind, but it'll leave you behind. It's a bit of a silent killer because for the first month of the season, you'll think it's fine. But if you miss out on the early cheapies that are going to make you 200, 300K, it just really kneecaps you. And if you get kneecapped just a couple of times, your season's dead in the water. Uh, you, you have to hit on those guys. And that's why, you know, these sort of guys are so heavily owned because you need to make that cash. And you might think it's okay for the first couple of months, but then when everyone starts having an extra million dollars to play with all of a sudden, it, it becomes a really big deal. So that's going to be the big issue with Randall. If he ends up playing 80 minutes, he'll be on track to be one of the top three or four cheapies of the year just because he's yeah. just not on his talent, but his pure work rate. And the other thing as well that's going to be good for him is he's not... Like he's a young guy. I'm not going to say he's old, but he's played 11 NRL games across the last couple of years, but he's 26 years old, which is pretty old for NRL. So he he's an experienced, mature player. He's played a lot of rugby league and a lot of second grade rugby league. He's not a guy that's 19, that's played a few games and just been introduced to NRL or whatever. You know, they'll be able to put minutes into him and, and he'll be mm. able to step up to it. And I don't think he's going to be overawed by doing it either. So, other thing with Randall too is, you know, he's obviously not the top choice and I don't even think he's the bench hooker choice. They don't have anyone else left. You know, they're not going to start. Yep. They're not going to start a man at nine. And they're not going to start any of these other guys at nine. They don't have anyone else. Mm. Like, do they even have a young guy that they might bring in? I don't even think they do. Not for first grade at the moment, no. Or anyone they could bring in is a little way off at the moment. They, they don't. They, the only thing they, they they've got money, so they would have to go and get one, and that's an awkward situation because Braley is coming back. So how do you buy a hooker? Like you've got to buy someone better and they can't buy them for two or three years because Braley's back next year. So mm. they've got money, but you have to find someone that's better that's better than Randall now that's worth spending the Pierce money on for one season. And I don't think that person exists because they, they, they don't. They'd be signed somewhere. So they can't go and lure a guy for two or three. I, I, the only reason... Gonna, uh, there is, there is somebody. Them, but, mm. There is somebody. The rumor mill has been going overdrive for the last week. And the somebody is uh, Hodgson for one year to Newcastle uh, before he goes I, to Parramatta. I can't see why Canberra would want to do that. Um, 
uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'll, I was going to say if something like that happens, that's the only risk to him. But we'll know that we'll we'll know if that's going to happen. So it's not really a, a, a drawback. We'll know before round one whether something like that had happened. Yeah. So um, I'd be surprised. My initial exclamation yeah. for that was why as well, because I sort of yeah. said, well, you know, Hodgson, okay, he's probably he's better. But why why spend money you don't need to spend when you still, you know, if you're pegged to finish 10th, you're still going to finish 10th whether Randall or Hodgson are there. And why would you spend an extra 400K, 500K just to do that? So I, mm. to me, I, it doesn't make sense. But rugby league teams do these type of things. So it wouldn't surprise yeah. me if it happens. But like you said, we'll know before round one anyway. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Clune, interested no. to hear your take. <laughs> Okay, I don't think anyone thinks, you know, no disrespect to Clune, you know, I, I admire how he's fought his way into being a first-grade player. Um, he's he's done well to break into grade, um, tried hard in the lower grades and stuff, but I don't think anyone would say that he's a top-shelf halfback. I don't think that's been too disrespectful. I don't think it's been too disrespectful to say no Newcastle Knight was excited by the signing. I initially said, oh, you know, it's, it's not that bad, guys. It's a pretty good depth signing. And then it started being talked around that he was maybe going to start. And then it's, that wouldn't be good. Now, Clune is obviously going to be cheap, okay? And one of the things that you always have to do with Supercoach is even if you think a guy isn't that great a player or even if you think that they're completely terrible, they could still be really useful for Supercoach. So you've got to put your real-life feelings aside and do what's best for your Supercoach team. Now, Adam Clune is 293000 So for a halfback, he's very cheap. Um, depending, depending on if the South kid gets a start or not, uh, he might end up being the cheapest halfback that's starting. He'll, he'll probably be the top two or three cheapest if he starts. So it's definitely going to be an option to, to look at him, and you should with anyone that cheap. But, you know, he's he played 77 minutes a game in 2020 across... 50, 15 games, which is a big sample size, and he averaged 33 points a game. Now, he was playing for the Dragons that aren't very good, but, you know, the Knights aren't very good, and we've said that a few times. The following year, he played 54 minutes a game, and in 2021, that equated to 30 points. So, you know, he lost 23 minutes a game and only lost three points. So maybe he's coming along and he'll be better. Um, do you think that he's starting, Luke? And if he's starting and he's playing 80 minutes... He has to be undervalued, but is, is he undervalued enough if there isn't enough cheapies around in the house for you to consider him? Uh, I don't think he's that undervalued at all. I think he's averaging that because he's not, he doesn't set up tries um, or put guys in holes or do things that create super coach points. Um, not disrespecting him, but I just, I, I'm thrilled he had an NRL career too. I just wish he had it somewhere that wasn't at Newcastle um, as the starting halfback. I, I, no, he, I wouldn't look at him at all. It's dead money. I just don't think he'll do anything. Um, I think you need to go up if we don't get the young South guy. Um, you'd be better off going for Hastings or someone who at least we know can do things uh, to a certain level. Um, a Clune won't set up any points. Newcastle's going to play off Ponga. If Clune's in the team, he's di- going to direct the ball to Ponga to do things um, and steer them by throwing a couple of passes and and to be honest I mean if we don't have a halfback it's not the uh, it's not the worst thing that to have someone there who won't demand the ball and things like someone who will just give Ponga the ball and won't have an ego about it that is probably the best we can hope for if we don't have mm. a really properly good player what you don't want is an in-between guy who thinks he's good who has to get the ball and, and run around and thinks he can run the show you want someone to just go my job's to get here bark people and give the ball to Caelan where he wants it 
Um, and he may well be able to do that for us um, in, a, in a perfect world, but it, it won't translate to super coach. I think he will start there. Crossland's the only other option. And Crossland is again, being part of um, O'Brien's mad preseason talk about moving to lock, which they thankfully seem to have abandoned. But I'd say Crossland will now have to be practicing playing hooker. So they obviously don't see him as a, the future at halfback. They had Pierce. They tried to sign, you know, they tried to get Brooks. They tried to get a couple of other half. They've been trying to sign a halfback. Um, they brought in Clune as a backup. Or does any of that scream to you that they think Crossland's the answer? So it doesn't to me. So I imagine he'll be practicing hooker to be some depth in that position. And I think Clune will probably start the season um, and, you know, hopefully doesn't end the season. Hopefully they, they buy a halfback at some point or, or something happens. But, I think he'll play. I don't think you should buy him. I don't think he'll make a lot of money. I don't think he'll score tries. I don't think he'll set me up. I hope that's not being too harsh, but I just leave me out. Get someone else. Oh, no, it's not It's not too harsh. I don't think that he's <laughs> going to be um, good to look at at all, but he's in that price range where he's going to pique some interest. And especially um, the halves, I think, this year are quite difficult. If you have, say, Nathan Cleary's out round one, um, Munster's already out round one, Cody Walker's very expensive, you know, you've got four half spots that you've got to fill uh, and all of a sudden you're going to be looking at several tiers down because there just isn't a lot of top-tier guys to look at and you're going to need to not spend, you know, four of your half, packs, uh, half spots between half and five-eight. So it, it's quite interesting, actually, halves this year. I think it's going to be a really interesting mm, It's mix. difficult, yeah. Um, very difficult. It, it, it's difficult, uh, but I think when you're looking at him and you think, oh, he's cheap, think again because he's cheap because he doesn't score many points and isn't going to get many. You need to, they need to either score your points or make your money. And I just don't think he'll do either. Yeah. I mean, if he yeah. was getting thrown into, uh, not to say the Roosters, but we are going to talk about them on the second part of the podcast. If he was thrown in the Roosters yeah. side, it'd probably be a little bit more different because there'd be a bit more points on offer as well. And you can consider it a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. But for the side that was second last in points for 2021, uh, I don't think that you can look at it at all. Uh, last guy we're going to finish up on, and this is a Luke Luke special, guys, because Luke requested we talk about this great man, Edric Lee. <laughs> Edric Lee is coming along from injury, and he has been injured forever. Um, I'm going to count from 2016, Luke, onwards on Edric Lee's mm-hmm. career, right? He's done 17 games, 5 games, 16 games, 14 games, 10 games, and then last year, and then last year he managed no games. So mm. he's obviously not been playing a lot. Uh, price tag-wise, he's 305000 in centre wing. That's not exceptionally cheap. Um, I I do like Edric, and I do like some mm. of the things he does as a football player. Uh, but for Supercoach, I was sort of hoping he'd be about 200000 because he set out last year. Uh, but he's not. He's 305000 He's 44-point average in 2020. Is right on par with his three years before, where he's between 39 and 49 points. He's never cracked the 50 mark. Um, I can see that, you know, a world where there's a bit of value there if they were going to score some early tries, but I just don't think that's going to happen, even if he's starting round one. But, you know, I, I get why you would look at runs and things with Edric, and I'd certainly get why if it was a bit cheaper. You look at him as a bit of a pod moneymaker, but you probably like Edric a little bit more than me, so why don't you talk us through it? I I don't think that's a bit. I don't want people to think I'm like a mad Edric Lee truther. <laughs> I, I wasn't thrilled when they signed him, but that's how that's how I was framing yeah, it. Yeah, um, Eddie, I'm big on him in Supercoach this year, though. I think if you watch the back half of last year, Inari Tawala 
just was just like he got a hat trick in a losing semi final. He just burgled tries for fun. He moved to the left wing and just like went from like mm. three tries in 10 games to just on a string of tries every week because Kalen Ponga hits left wingers for fun and Bradman Best draws defenses in, um, which makes it easier for Ponga to throw that pass. And Bradman Best also sets the winger up pretty well. He's got a nice flick pass and a good ball. It's just money on the night's edge that that left wingers have big games for them. And I don't think he'll play round one. I know as of a couple of weeks ago, he was straight line running flat out and they haven't seen that in ages. I know it's why they got rid of Toa, that they were basically committed to Edric got a training trial and they were going to have to boot someone if Edric looked good. But they thought, you know, Edric Lee on a training trial is a pretty good deal for a club. You know, like you want, uh, if you can get him on base money, um, he's not the world's greatest player, but, you know, he's a, he's a $300,000 winger fairly comfortably. So if you can get him on, on, on you know, 70 grand, that's that's pretty big. So they're going to get him in now, and that's why they freed up the tower space. Um, he'll play there again some point this year because he's only competing with Tawala and some of the young guys. Um, you know, Dom, Dom Young might push for that spot at some point if he keeps improving. But I think if he comes back and the Knights have a good run, just keep an eye on him because uh, he'll, he'll have a couple of games there where Ponga puts him over for a couple, and he'll go up pretty quickly from 300. I, I reckon... He's a good look. I don't think he'll play round one now, but if he was, I'd have a look as well because it's just very cheap. Like if you're looking at Kurt Mann, for example, we were talking about him before in the centres at 380, and you can get on Edric and get a couple of quick tries and a couple of runs going. That's I like the look of it. I'd, I'd keep him in mind. Yeah. Um, he's back. That's amazing. He's back. I mean, it's, it's good points that you make about that side. Um, certainly that side could equate to a lot of points, but... Wait and see even if he's named round one. I, I couldn't go there, but... I don't think he will be round one. I think he'll be more looking. I, I, and I would be more thinking that just keep an eye out for when he comes back and if they get a couple of good games together, um, you know, you'll get to look at his break even that way as well. He might, you know, you'll get to see if he's going to make some cash after his first two. But I think we'll see him. I think he'll be hungry and he's in the right spot that Newcastle aren't a team to chase, but you chase their left winger. If the left winger is cheap, they just score. They score all the time, and you, you need to have a look if you've got a cheap left winger. Yep. Might be a bit of a hmm. – um, I think that you could probably get Edric Lee final rounds of your draft for, for draft guys hmm. when you're filling out your centre wing, which is a good strategy. Filling out your yeah. last few rounds. That'd be a great one. Hmm. Yep. That'd be a decent one yep. to grab on. That'd be a great call. Yep, for sure. Uh, that's the Newcastle Knights done, and that's part one done of this podcast because we knew we were going to talk for so long. We are actually doing a two-parter for – the Knights and the Roosters. So the Knights get their own podcast. The Roosters will get part two of this podcast. You can download all the All-Stars podcasts everywhere. iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All-Stars. And certainly if you are going to uh, subscribe, do that because it means you'll get the episode straight away as they are available. And certainly if you're going to jump on our great sponsor, Top Sport, make sure you use the promo code of SC All Stars and they'll take great care of you. But you should be able to find the second part of this uh, podcast episode pretty quickly, if not immediately, depending on when you're listening to this one, we will talk about the Roosters and you get to hear me and Luke again. Thanks very much for listening. Tune in to part two shortly. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Only shooting stars